I could talk for about an hour about Muhammad Yunus, uh, but frankly, you'd all lynch me, so I won't. Uh, my name's Richard Dean. I'm a journalist and radio presenter here. I'm going to tell you five things about our next speaker before I introduce him. He was born in 1940 in Bangladesh and studied at Dhaka University Economics before earning a Fulbright scholarship to the United States, where he studied economics at... Vanderbilt University. In 1972, he returned to Bangladesh and headed the economics department at Chittagong University. And the third and most important thing you need to know about him is that while doing so in the early 1970s, he invented something called microcredit or microfinance. He noticed that in the villages around the university, there were lots of loan sharks and they were causing enormous pain throughout those villages. So he thought, well, we can do this better so he started lending the money himself, and the rest, arguably, is history. He founded Grameen Bank, which means village bank in Bangla. That bank enjoyed incredible success. I'm going to share just a handful of statistics with you. Since then, that bank has dispersed $24 billion, with a B, dollars in microfinance loans. It has been repaid more than $22 billion of those dollars, with a recovery rate of 99.2%. I study the balance sheets of banks here in the UAE and globally in my role as a business journalist. Believe me, none of them have a repayment rate of 99.2%. Nine million members of this bank, 8.7 million of which are women. And it's not just in emerging economies like his native Bangladesh, although he's very active there. In the United States of America, Grameen Bank has lent $825 million as of January this year. 20 branches, 98,000 people have received loans, all of them women, all of them in the United States. That is the fourth thing you need to know about our speaker this evening. The fifth is that in 2006, his work was recognized by the Nobel Committee in Sweden, and he was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. They said this, loans to poor people without any financial security had to beard to be an impossible idea. But this man made it possible. This man is Mohammed Yunus. Please join me in welcoming him this evening. Thank you. Hello, Mohammed. Hello. So, which brings us to your latest book, Three Zeros. You do not write many books. You are not a prolific author, so it's a big deal when you do. Talk us through what are the three zeros and why did you feel the need to write this book now? Well, to explain why um, three zeros, I've been talking about uh, one zero, particularly poverty. I was saying uh, for many, many years since the beginning of my work in Grameen Bank that uh, we should come uh, to a position where poverty should be eliminated entirely from the whole world. I said poverty doesn't belong to civilized human being, civilized human society. It's a scar on this whole human society. And uh, we can do that. We can eliminate it completely. And then we should put poverty in the museum. So there should be poverty museums everywhere. Where, because the next generation will not know what poverty is like. Then the children will go during school to see what poverty used to be. And they will be horrified to see what this is all about. And all because... Uh, indifference of other human beings, not because there's something wrong in them. There's something wrong in the attitude of the people. So I always emphasizing that saying poverty is not created by poor people. Poverty is created by the system that we have created. That's the product we've done. So if you, if you want to eliminate poverty, you have to change the system. 
You have to change the institutions, policies, and so on. So that's where argument came in zero poverty. And I was saying, what are the other things that we have to do? Then, about the most critical things that we must do. Then I was, uh, again, I was arguing that uh, people are all, young people are always encouraged to find a job. Job is always in our language. Every time our politicians are proposing job, our businesses are saying we created so many jobs, as if our life is dependent on job, as if we are born to work for somebody. And I said, that's, that's true. This is not true at all. Human beings are not uh, someone to go and prepare himself to work for somebody. And we built our, our educational system. Uh, to make young people job-ready. I said, that's a shameful thing, that you are making young people to go and work for somebody. The human beings basically are entrepreneurs. This is the issue that I've been raising and explaining how I feel. Then I said, the whole idea of unemployment, the whole problem of unemployment is created because of the concept of employment. If we didn't have the concept of employment, there would be no unemployment because there's no question of unemployment if I'm not looking for employment. If I'm an entrepreneur, who cares for employment at all? So I said, this is zero unemployment. Only it's changing of the mind so that I can be an entrepreneur. And that my work also facilitated that because I do the microcredit. I said, look at it. All these women work with a small amount of money, illiterate women in the villages who never crossed the boundary of the village. That's her life. She dared to stand up and take a loan of $30, $40 and start a business. She became an entrepreneur. She's a natural human being. Nobody told her to other kind of things. So naturally she reacted. And now it's not alone. She has millions of them. In Bangladesh alone, within Grameen Bank, there are 9 million women who took loan and became entrepreneurs. Globally, there are more than 300 million women who took loan and become entrepreneurs. I said, if women, illiterate women can become entrepreneurs, anybody in the world can become entrepreneur. So I said, entrepreneurship is the thing. So unemployment is gone, zero unemployment. And there's net zero carbon emission, which is the planet safety of the planet. That's how we put them together. I, put it as a kind of destination of human being, that we have to go this direction. Because the present direction is the wrong direction. Present direction is talking about the growth, talking about this, other things. I said, that's like absolutely wrong direction. We need a new direction. In order for the new direction, you need a new road. So that's why I encourage young people, particularly, to build new roads to reach new destinations. That's how the three zeros came so, about. So those are the three zeros. Poverty, unemployment, net carbon emissions, yeah. and that is the goal. The way we're going to approach this is we're going to tackle each of those in turn. And, and I know we can't completely pigeonhole them. They are interdependent. But in terms of the Q&A, I know Mohammed's really keen to take questions. So we'll probably talk a little bit about poverty and then take some questions, and a little bit about unemployment and take some questions, and then a little bit about net carbon emissions or climate change and then take questions. So we're going to come to the audience with questions quite early, not just leave them to the end. But I'm going to begin by challenging you, um, because you say that the existing neoclassical economics model is, is not working. What's the, the, the phrase you... Existing capitalist engine is producing more damage than solutions. I'm a kind of neoclassical, right-wing, Thatcherite, Reaganite economist. So you and I are from different schools. And I would argue that that's overstating the problem. I'm going to challenge you and say that actually it is working, not perfectly. I'm looking at World Bank statistics, and let me throw these at you. Back in 1990, when the Millennium Development Goals were set... 35% of the world population was considered to be living 
in, in poverty, below the poverty line, about 1.9 billion people. By 2013, the most recent year for which the World Bank has stats, that's gone from 35% to 10%. We've gone from 1.9 billion people living below the poverty line to 800 million. Not good enough, but it's not a system that's broken. It's a system that's working, Mohammed. Yeah, well, you can look at it that way. The one, the one I look at, uh, for example, here, they're, we're coming to the kitchen. They're cooking for all the people. They're probably cooking for 1,000 people to cook. And when it's done... Uh, one guy eats everything, the other guys get the crumb. I don't call it a system. We should be all eating together or eating proportionately, whatever it is. Today, all the wealth of the world is concentrated in few hands. Eight people in the whole world own more wealth than the bottom 50% of the entire population. Four billion people's wealth equals eight people's wealth. And we could be happy with that, provided it is stayed that way. Tomorrow, it will be different. It will be four people owning more wealth than the bottom four billion yes, people. Yes, but you know these people. I know these people. The, the, you, they everybody are Bill knows Gates. And, but, everybody well, knows them. We, we know of them. You know them personally. No, no, no. Where no. Bill Gates or, or Mark Zuckerberg. And you've spoken to sure. them. And Mark Zuckerberg has said... Well, you, you tell the story. He told you, didn't he, about his, his, when his daughter was born. No, it's all in the press. Yeah. Uh, the, the fascinating story came in the press when his, first, his daughter was born. It's his first child. He gave 99% of the wealth of uh, Zuckerberg. He gave it away uh, to a foundation. So I said, this is a very funny thing. When you are celebrating the birth of your first child, and in celebration you are giving away all the wealth that you have, 99%, the share of his wealth, is given away to a foundation. I said, naturally, you'll be expecting that he gives all the wealth in the name of the new child. So you become the owner, I step out. That's what he didn't do. So he deprived the child in celebration. And his explanation was very, very powerful. He said, the reason I give it away to make sure this world becomes a better place for my child with this money. So he's thought that this is not a good world to, to be in, so it should be a better world. But that's the direction he, he wanted to see the world. So that's the direction we all should see the world should be a better place than it has been. And that's a, that's a point I'm making. All the wealth of the world is like a mushroom, no? Huge mushroom on the top. And it's only, this whole mushroom is owned by only eight people today. And stem of the mushroom, which represents 99.9% of the population, is the wealth, which is the stem, which is becoming skinnier and skinnier. Mushroom itself is becoming bigger and bigger. I said, this is not a system. This is a mockery of a system when you have something like that. And I said, while we're passing around, talking about the poor people getting out of poverty, they are taking a baby step, getting from the, what they are and moving a little, which is good. But while they're making a baby step, in the meantime, the guy on the top, he was going 1,000 miles. And that's the difference we're talking about. But to be fair, I was at a conference today in Abu Dhabi, and David Cameron was speaking, the former UK Prime Minister, and even, he said, even I accept, and he said, I'm a kind of right-wing, Thatcherite, free trade, low taxes guy. He said, even I accept that one of the big problems facing the world today is that a lot of people are not reaping the benefits of the economic growth. And we need, it needs to be more inclusive growth. So if, if even right-wing politicians like David Cameron are broadly speaking agreeing with you that we need to tackle inequality, th the question then is, what is the new system? How do you do that? Uh, I, the suggestion I make in the book, because all the experiences that I have gone through, I'm just sharing that experience. And I say, it needs to be redesigned. 
the system that we have is a kind of a sucking machine which sucks up everything from the bottom and puts on the top. And that's the machine which keeps on working very efficiently. <laughs> we have to undo that system. We have to reverse the system. It takes the wealth from the top and brings it for everybody else. Because all the wealth is there, not because they are taking away something. It's all accumulated out there. Uh, even in India, there are statistics that were shown about a month back, I guess. 1% of the Indians own more than 73% of the total wealth of India. 1%, 73%. Go city by city, country by country, you see the same result. You see 1% owning 99%. Where do these people live? If you look at the wealth of distributed around the world geographically, probably half a dozen countries in the world has 99% of the wealth in those countries, and the remaining 1% is distributed over the rest of the world. This is not a system. It's getting worse. That's my point. It's getting worse. I said it's a ticking time bomb. It will explode. It will destroy everything that we created over the years. This argument, the, the, the same conversation was being had 100 years ago in Russia with people like Lenin and Trotsky, and the system that they created, the communist system, didn't really work, did it? So what's the, I don't know, is there a third way? Is there a new system that there isn't a kind of socialist redistribution model which has its own flaws? What's the progressive model, do you think, yeah. Mohammed, that can work? Well, the same anger. It yeah. came the same anger. These people were deprived and so on. After that anger explosion and revolution and all that, now capitalist system learned a little bit, to share a little bit, get the crumb part of it a little bit bigger. So that has brought stability. But that's not solved the basic problem. Basic problem is still the same machine, sucking up the wealth and sending it to the top. So that machine has to be fixed. But it is, it is, what I would say is the capitalist system is quite a good wealth creation machine. It's not a very good wealth distribution machine. I'm, I'm, Do we keep the, the, the bits of it that generate yeah, the wealth and the, just the, distribute it better? You, you pointed it out. I'm raising the same question. You create the wealth for whom? For those guys, eight people, two people? Is this a we're pride? We're taking pride that it was a great machine. All the wealth goes to the top. That's not a great machine. This is a very faulty machine. Because we work for them, and they take the wealth. And that's the problem that we are discussing. What I was sharing my own experiences. I'm saying, look, what we have done, not because as a theoretician, as a practical person, we wanted to solve people's problem. One problem we solved with the microcredit, bringing financial system to the poor people. I have described financial system as something like providing economic oxygen to people. People are poor because they are not connected with the economic oxygen. If you don't have the oxygen in the room, we cannot breathe, we'll collapse, we become dysfunctional. And that's what's happening to the vast majority of the population in the world. They're not connected with the economic oxygen. They cannot take economic breathing. They cannot function, dysfunction, we call them poor. So I said, why don't you connect them with the economic oxygen? Suddenly they become very active. They take care of themselves. They create wealth by themselves. So this is what is happening. I said, it can be done. Along the way, so a lot of other problems, health problems, energy problems, problems of malnutrition, problem of sanitation. Every time I see a problem, I create a business to solve it. And I created a lot of those businesses in Bangladesh. And it has a very unique kind of characteristics. It's a business, but it's a very strange business. It's a business not for making money for any person, is a business to solve people's problem without any intention of making any personal profit out of it. So we created a lot of controversy in the theoretical world. Is it a real business? It's not a business. I keep saying, if, as, if I own the business, if I don't want to take a profit, is there any law that I'll be punished? I'll be jailed for that? I don't want to take a profit? I said, there is no law. So why should you say it's not a business? It's my intention. I want to solve the problem. I created those things. I created a problem of solar energy. 
as, as business to solve, solve solar energy, bring solar energy in the country, not to make money, but to make sure we replace the kerosene lamp with a green energy for everybody in the village. One of my favorite stories, the kerosene lamp is interesting and, and, and the way that you took three sure. years of, 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 of money on kerosene. Just explain how that yeah. works. It's wonderful. Yeah, you go to Bangladesh at those days, in the early years that I'm working in, as I work in the villages. As the sun goes down, the country becomes dark. I said, look at this world. It's like the world has come a long way. Now it still looks like we're in the cave. There's nothing, no light. It's just a kerosene lamp. We grew up as a child in the villages with a kerosene lamp. Our studies and everything done with a kerosene lamp. But today it looks very funny. So I said, why don't we bring green energy? Why don't we bring solar energy? It's here. Everybody said, no, 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 you can't do that. Bangladesh is not a country for solar energy. It's for Europe. It's good. It's expensive and so on. I said, no, no, we can do that. So I created a company called Gramin Energy or Gramin Shokti. And it started bringing solar home system for people. And it's very difficult to convince people to take it because it's expensive. In the beginning, I, I was convinced that this is a solution, but people are not convinced that it's a solution. They don't want to buy. Selling four or five solar home system a month is a big, big challenge for us. But we didn't give up. We said it has to be done because it's needed by the people. Then came up with an idea which worked. Simply we tell people how much money you spend on kerosene every month. She said, well, I usually spend X amount of money as uh, my kerosene money every month. I said, give me the every month kerosene money, I give you a solar home system. So all you do, monthly kerosene money comes to me, you get beautiful electricity in your home, you do it for three years. After three years, you don't have to pay anything. It's all yours, free. People love this. this is, how can you go wrong? <laughs> and, and on top of it, he said, if you don't like it after two months or three months, you tell us, we'll take it back. After that, you don't have to pay a penny. You can be a winner everywhere. So they started, the, it became a hot subject. Everybody wanted the solar energy. Today we have more than 2 million homes with solar energy by this company alone. And now there are many, many NGOs who started doing that. Together we have nearly 4 million homes in Bangladesh with solar energy. But we didn't give it a free distribution. We sold it. But we didn't want to do it to make money for ourselves. We want to cover the cost. So suddenly it opened the door for a new idea that you can create a business to solve people's problems. And we did it in many ways. We created hospital after hospital as a social, we call it a social business. Define it by saying non-dividend company to solve human problem. Suddenly people say, what? You can create a company to solve people's problem? I thought companies create problems for the people. <laughs> that, that way. No, no, it's a very strong element. I said, you can solve all this problem, solar energy, poverty, and medical thing, as a charity. So I said, coming out of the charity, I don't want to get involved with charity. I said, one of the limitations of charity, charity is a wonderful thing. I appreciate, I admire them, but it has a limitation. Charity money goes out, does a wonderful work, but the money doesn't come back. So what I did, I took the objective of charity, put a business engine behind it. So that money goes out, and I call it social business. Social business money goes out, Solve the problem, money comes back. And I use it again. I use it again. So it's a non-stop money, continuously flowing back and forth. So it becomes very powerful. It's endless money. So I said, this is a better solution than the charity. I'm not stopping the charity, but you can do it this way also. So that idea is catching up. Now we have created so many social business in Bangladesh. In healthcare, as I said, in multinational companies are getting interested in it. Danone is a food company. They became interested. We have a joint venture. We created a company to create a special kind of yogurt to address the problem of malnutrition among the children. And this is with Danone, yeah. one of the world's 
top big, biggest companies, yeah. a, a French company. So it's not all grassroots stuff. No, yeah, 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 that's a very serious company. So they took it very seriously. They created it and they enjoy it. To the extent now they're expanding their social business in many countries. They created the Social Business Fund, which has more than 100 million euro right now, investing this money in social businesses in many countries. Danone is not alone. McCain, another company, huge company, is a Canadian company. When they introduced themselves that we came to learn from you about the social business, we are very interested in reading your book and so on. We want to get involved. I asked them, what does your company do? I have no idea. I never heard of McCain. They felt a little uncomfortable. I said that. They didn't answer it right away. They said, do you like French fry? <laughs> I said, yeah, I like French fry. So next time you eat French fry anywhere in the world, remember, it may be McCain French fry. I said, oh, my God, you are big. He said, yes, we are big. <laughs> 60% of the French fry business in the whole world, we control. That's our business. So we're very happy that you want to do that. So we got involved with social, they got involved with social business. We created social business in Colombia. They themselves took the initiative to create social business in France, in Europe, all over Europe. You know, very fascinating stories because I didn't know anything about that. 30% of the vegetables grown all over Europe is thrown away. You know why? Because they're not the right shape. You have a cucumber, which is fat on one end, thin on another end. No grocery shop, no supermarket will ever sell that because nobody will buy it. Wrong shape vegetables. In industry, it's known as ugly vegetable. And this 30% is literally thrown away. So what McCain has done, they came back to this issue. They started buying up all the ugly vegetable, which is thrown away, chopped them up and put it in a nice little package calling ready-to-cook vegetable. <laughs> Same vegetable. Because now when you chop it up, there's no shape. So people cannot say ugly vegetable anymore. It's a good vegetable. Simply the crime that committed is the wrong shape. So suddenly it became a big source of people having cheap vegetables and so on. Then they started another one, started producing soup, vegetable soup. When you make soup, there's no shape. So suddenly, all these throwaway vegetables became, a, this is their social business. They did it not because to, they wanted to make money. They got an idea now. They see things we never saw before. You see, our eyes in this capitalist world today have dollar signs. We see the world with a dollar sign. If you have a, another pair of glasses with a social business sign, suddenly you see the world completely differently. And that's what they started saying that. That's why the, their social business soup came out. That's why the social business ready-to-cook food came out and so on. So now they're very happy. They're expanding that business in other countries. We just launched it in Morocco. I was present. They invited me to launching ceremony. Same thing, just by buying the vegetable, ugly vegetables, turning into soup and so on and so forth. Same is for potato. 30% of the, 26% uh, of the potato is thrown away. Again, it's not the right shape for the machine. Machine needs the right kind of potato so that they can get more french fry out of it. If the shape is not good, they don't buy it and farmers don't, cannot sell it anymore. So they are buying up all those throwaway uh, potato, turning them into potato soup. And the French chefs became so interested in that they started creating new recipe for the French soup and offering their uh, images to be put on the packages saying that this is a social business soup is good for you. And now it's become very popular. Potato soup, that's how to solve the world's problems. I'm going to go to the floor for our first batch of questions, please. Uh, my name is Laura, and I work in education as a consultant. What is your opinion about universal basic income? Well, <laughs> this is becoming very popular now. I get this question everywhere. This is coming from a different direction. It used to be another direction. Now it's coming from the artificial intelligence. 
because artificial intelligence is coming. All of us will lose jobs because we are not needed anymore because artificial intelligence do a better job than we do. So what happens to people? Nothing. They can't find a job. They don't have an income. So people are worrying to take care of that part. If they, they are absolutely sure that artificial intelligence will take away all our jobs. What next? They say, why don't we introduce universal basic income? And I don't like that. I don't like, I, I don't like the welfare. I should elaborate when I say that I don't like welfare. I always insist that it is the social responsibility, any society's responsibility to help the people who are in trouble. So government, as a representative of the society, should take care of the people who are in trouble, who cannot take care of themselves. That's why the welfare system. But this is only one part of the welfare system which the world has accepted. The other part, which I'm proposing, has not been accepted. I said, first part is easy. Give the money, take care of it. Second part is now help them to get out of welfare. That part is never done. I said, that's what the real challenge, because human being is a bundle of creativity, bundle of energy. You don't lock them up by giving them a plate of food. Eat it and sit there, don't do anything. I said, that's a total kind of humiliation and denial of the right of a human being, that I should be myself. Now, when you come to basic income, universal basic income, we're saying everybody should be on welfare. It's an extension of the welfare system. I said, I don't like it at all. I should rather go back to the artificial intelligence. I said, is artificial intelligence the right thing? Who gave the authority to technology people to create that, to take in my job? Is there a social watchdog for technology? Anybody watching them? What is the right technology and what is the wrong technology? Just because you're technology doesn't mean you're right. You have to be in the right direction to make a technology. I said, taking away people's job in a universal way cannot be a right technology. Technology should be to help me, not to replace me. If I replace, what kind of economy would that be? I'm on the welfare and I have to depend on machines to produce everything for me. I don't think this is the right direction to do that. So this is a kind of ongoing discussion that I challenge. I said, first of all, United Nations had to get quickly to set up the guidelines for technology. And I suggest number one guideline would be technology should not be harmful to people. You cannot develop any technology which is harmful to people. Second uh, guideline would be no technology should be developed which will be harmful to the planet. You can destroy the planet by creating technology. And this technology, the artificial intelligence, today we are told in the next 15 years to 20 years, the artificial intelligence will be more intelligent than human being. If they are more intelligent than human being, they will continue to become super intelligent than human being. From them, we would be looking like cockroaches because they are so super, we are cockroaches for them. So the question probably will come in their mind, in their super intelligent mind, do we need these cockroaches here? Should there be a guideline up to what level we should super intelligence or intelligence, which direction we'll be using it and which direction we cannot use it. So that's the basic question, not the basic income is absolutely wrong solution. I'll take two more questions. We'll combine them together. And then if Mohammed can take them. First of all, brief question. Thank you. My name is Michelle Tarno. I'm a social entrepreneur consultant in Africa. Um, my question is, have you considered a business model of creating a universal insurance company that would put everybody on the planet in the same risk pool rather than the current model, which makes its money by dividing us up into tiny little models. Thank, Thank you very much indeed. And we'll take the question at the back as well, and I'll, I'll club those two questions together. I heard a news report that the aubergine is the staple source of food in Bangladesh and that companies like Monsanto are going in and genetically modifying these vegetables. Are you concerned about that? 
let me take the first one about the insurance. Yes, if it can be a social business, a global social business, of course. It could be a local social business also. It doesn't have to wait for the global to emerge. You do it, uh, your locality, social business, insurance company, make sure that you protect them for the emergencies that they will be facing in health and uh, other things and fire and so on and so forth. And I do it in my place, she does it in another place. And we learn from each other and create a global system of insurance possible. But we have to come with the social business idea. We are doing it not to make money for ourselves, to solve the problem of the people. So it's, it's a very interesting uh, model you can come up with. It's a, uh, and it's very needed one at every level of it. The poorer you are, more risky your life is. So how to cover that risk by creating this uh, system. About uh, Monsanto and other things, as I said, any research, any technology research should have a guideline. It should not harm people. Uh, and I give the example of, uh, I find it very suitable, uh, the medicine. Whenever a new medicine is developed for any particular cure for a uh, disease or something, they work very hard to develop that medicine for years. A team of researchers, labs throughout the world working for it, and finally found the solution for it. And it's absolutely exciting solution. The companies or the labs who have developed it cannot now sell it. No country will allow you to sell it they will ask you to go to the drug administration of your country or whatever. The drug administration has to test it out, whether it is in any way harmful to people. So you have to wait for years to see whether the drug administration finally is convinced before you are allowed to sell it in the market. You can do that for medicine. You can't do that for technology, which is much more wider subject. Just to let you do with the, whether whatever technology you have developed, you have to submit to the regulatory authority whether it will have any implication in harming people, harming planet, harming um, uh, trees and the planet, plants and so on and so forth. So that's where your Monsanto thing comes in. We don't have that. We have to have that. That's my argument. That's why I keep raising this issue. That otherwise uh, we'll be creating all those monsters around us, and we'll be the victims of those monsters. And we, this is not what we should open the floodgate for. If we move on to the issue of, of employment, and you talk about people should be entrepreneurs and job creators rather than job seekers, and I get that. And yet if we look at some of the coverage of, for example, Uber and the gig economy, there's a lot of criticism of people becoming entrepreneurs. For example, I, I don't want to single out Uber, but let, let's take them as an example. Uber drivers in the US or the UK, they don't have medical insurance. They don't have the employee rights that a regular salary worker would have in terms of dismissal. They, they don't have paid a certain amount of days off a year. They, they don't get sick pay. I mean, you, you've seen this before. There are many downsides to taxi drivers or transport workers becoming non-unionized, independent, entrepreneurial service providers rather than employees. Uh, you probably have two issues in, in, in that question. One, uh, whether a particular company is treating their employees rightly or wrongly. I'm not the one that to talk about it, whether they're right or wrong. I'm talking about all human beings are entrepreneurs. That's my definition of human being. And we are wrongly pushed into accepting job in other places. And that came in a kind of harsh way with me. It's not something that I dreamt about. Suddenly I started speaking. All our borrowers, all the 9 million women that we have in Grameen Bank are illiterate women almost all of them, I cannot read, cannot write. But we wanted to make sure right from the beginning as we are growing step by step, to make sure their children do not repeat the same fate 
as their parents, the mother and the father. We wanted to make sure we send the children to school so that they will be literate, hopefully educated. So we did everything through our bank to make sure 100% of the children of Grameen families are illiterate and educated. And we succeeded. And we gave them education loans to go into higher education, not only just primary and so on, going to higher education. Many of the Grameen children, now professors, scientists, and technologists, and so on and so forth, doctors, because they're same, kids are same, provided you get the opportunity. So we created those opportunities, gave them the loans, and became doctors, engineers, and so on. But once they come out with the master's degree, with the bachelor's degree, with all those uh, professional degrees, there's no job. And they keep complaining, why did you send us to school? And we wasted our time. Now there's no job. And I feel sad for them, very sorry for them. And I didn't know how to address this issue. Suddenly I thought maybe I should turn it back to them. I said, why are you looking for jobs? Who told you to look for jobs? This is my question. And they couldn't answer that question. Nobody can answer that question. Did your teacher tell you to have a job? Did your book tell you to have jobs? Of course they don't have the answer. I said, forget about this. These are wrong thing. Job is an absolutely wrong idea. It's an obsolete idea. It should have ended in the last century. Somehow it sneaked in here. You tell yourself that I'm not a job seeker. I'm a job creator. And behave like a job creator. Think like a job creator. And feel like a job creator. You feel tall. If you're a job seeker, you feel small. Why should you feel small? And then they started saying, oh, we don't know how to just start a business. You're telling us to start a business. We never learned how to start a business. We don't know what kind of business uh, we can do. Because in school, we are not taught about that. I said, look, you are a son, you are a daughter of a Grameen Bank borrower. And your mother, 30 years back, 20 years back, stood up and had the courage to ask for a $30 loan and took that loan and started a business. And ever since, she's taking the next loan and the next loan, and she had widened her business, succeeded, and you were born in that process. And you are telling me, you don't know how to start a business, but you, you had all the education, your mother had no education. I said, shame on your education. It destroyed your thinking process. You have only thing you have in mind to find a job for somebody else. Your mother is a natural human being. Education system could not contaminate her brain. She remains very clean. And as a result, she, didn't, she was not afraid. She started up and created that and stayed there. She didn't walk away from that. I said, why don't you go back to your mother? Clean up your mind. Start learning again how to think like a business person, how to think a business idea and so on, and come back to us with a business idea. And we created the social business venture capital. You come with a business idea, I invest in your business as a partner, not as a loan. It's a partnership, it's equity. You make it your business successful, you return the money that I gave you. Because we are a social business, we are not interested in your profit. That's why we differ from the conventional venture capital. Conventional venture capital want to make big money. We said, we are not interested in making money. We want you to be successful. Now, thousands and thousands of young people every week, every month come with business ideas. We keep on investing in what you are expanding. And they are becoming business people. Because the system has started, there is a fund available, and they started coming with the ideas after ideas and so on and so forth. The moment you open it up, people come with their creative ideas. Some succeeded very quickly. Some takes a little bit of time in finally finish. So this is how the idea of becoming everybody, becoming an entrepreneur came. Then I kept insisting all human beings are entrepreneurs. I said, when we're in the caves, our history doesn't say that we are a job seeker. When we're in the caves, we're not sending job applications. From cave number five to cave number 10, <laughs> do you have a job? 
We were go-getters. That's what the human beings are. We are problem solvers. And we take steps to make sure that we overcome odd situations and so on. This system, the capitalist system, turned our mind away. No, 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 you have to work for somebody. And as a result, wealth concentration has come. If we all become entrepreneurs, just imagine the situation. If you all become entrepreneurs, will there be wealth concentration? No. Because wealth concentration takes place because we become the mercenaries for the money makers. So we work for them and then complain about it. If we didn't work for them, they have no money. If we, if we become entrepreneurs, we collect the wealth ourselves. So each one of us become wealth collectors. There is no question of concentration of the wealth. And I reminded our young people, I said, look, job, see, human being is packed with unlimited creative capacity. That's what the human beings are all about. The moment you take a job, you surrender your creativity because you have to fit into a slot. And slot cuts off all your creative power. I said, why should you sacrifice yourself? You be yourself. Do things in your own way. Be creative and be productive in a way the world can be world can have a signature from you that this is what the role you played. You have no chance in working for somebody else because you have to fit into their scheme, not your scheme. So that's what I keep came. Now young people are staying. Yes, of course. Many, I have some examples, doesn't change the whole world right away. Quit the job. I said, I'm totally convinced that I did the wrong thing taking a job. I quit my job. I started a business, any business. It doesn't have to be social business. All have to be entrepreneur. I want to be entrepreneur and I want to make money. That's it. Why not? So this is what I'm explaining. I, I'm dying to ask a question about Karl Marx and the labor theory of value, but I'm not going to because <laughs> we have be here all night. Uh, but I am going to throw it open to questions. Let's get some quick questions. Can we get quick responses as well, Mohammed, to, to do as, as quick Let, Let's start over on, on this side. Hi, Professor Yunus. Um, I'm Zenith from University of Wollongong. I'm a professor. I teach a responsible business. And um, this is a debate that I have in my class all the time about how you should stop doing, getting a degree to get a job. And most of the times my students will come back and ask, so we can't all be business owners, then who's going to work for me? What would your answer be to that? Thank you very much Thank indeed. You. And the question at the front, the gentleman, please. Thank you. Uh, Mohammed. understand the social business model, understand the need for you know, capital markets and big business. Where does that balance out, or are you actually really looking to replace one with the other and create a revolution? Social business doesn't have to be a small business. It could be a global business. No problem. We just talk about the insurance as a global business, social business. So it could be just a parallel thing. How big the social business will be compared to the conventional business, money-making business, that will depend what we have inside of us, how much we want to devote ourselves to solve problems, how much we want to greedy, make money for ourselves, or self-centric thing, how much of it we would do. Some say, well, whatever I need, I can all take care of it. The rest of me will be just doing the big thing. I want to solve those big problems, because that's what I'm built for. I'm not just making money is easy thing, but why don't we take the big issues that around the world, uh, climate and uh, 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 waste management, circular economy, on those kind of things. We can do that. So I would not say that this will play a kind of subsidiary role and so on. About the money, I was just talking to uh, Richard about coming here, where the money will be. I said, well, money is a folding all over the place. Simply a question of picking them up. I said, if you just take the eight richest people in the world, 
the one that was taking half the world, half the wealth of the world, they already signed up giving pledge. Half their wealth will be given away. And 188 richest people in the world already signed up. Half the wealth will be. Some of them given up the whole thing, like Mike Zuckerberg is one, giving up the whole thing. Imagine how much total money that is, how much total wealth that is given away. Simply we have to convince them, before you give away, there's another option. Would you like to do it in a social business way? Which will be more powerful? Once we convince them, all this money will be released for this. This is just waiting for this. And all, imagine all the foundations who have the money. Forget about the richest people, just the foundation. How much foundation money each one each year is accumulated? That will be released for this. Otherwise, you are writing checks. How much CSR money for each company is going away? Writing checks. Instead of writing checks, you bring your company's creative power to solve the problem of water in this whole uh, village or whole district. Water is a massive problem globally. They have all the creative power inside of them. But they want to use this creative power to make money for their shareholders. They can at the same time use the just because you use the creative power. Okay. I, too long. I, I know you're so passionate about yeah, this. I know. But, so but this it, is it. It's a big thing. It's not a small thing. And coming back to your question, this was about. Oh yes, this is an old world question where everybody is working for other people. The moment you say, if everybody become entrepreneur, what happens to the workers? Who will work for them? It's the relationship that we now figure out that somebody has to be the owner, somebody has to work for them. It comes from the concept itself. If you have all entrepreneurs, we have to redefine the relationship. We'll be partners. There's no question of I want worker for me. We're working together. Because I'm the owner, you are the owner, he's the owner. Together, we work together. And that's how it will be. So it's a question of redefining the relationship. It's not about one has to be a worker. One has to be a work production team. The relationship with the partnership. That's about it. That's the simplest one. So we can go on from there. I'll take two or three more questions. Hello, Professor Yunus. We have a microfinance club in school, and we lend via Kiva, small loans. I just wanted to know your opinion on Kiva and any pitfalls that we should look out for. Thanks very much indeed. And we'll get a couple of quick questions down here at the front, please, as well. I'm Rinda from Indonesia. Actually, uh, I think I get your idea. And also happened in Indonesia that everyone can be entrepreneurs. But in reality, it is difficult. <laughs> and lots of failed story. And I want to know, is there any failed story in Bangladesh and how we can overcome the difficulties? And very quickly, the gentleman next to you. My question is, uh, I work in advertising, and quite simply put, is, is advertising the, the epitome of capitalism, or can it ever be used as a force for good? Sure. Of course, it can be done. It's a question of, what do you advertise? So I was just give a quick example. I've been raising this question. A sports world could be very, very strong social force. I said, today is used as an entertainment and making big money out of sports. I said, but this is enormous capacity to change things. I said, imagine just the advertisement you raised, all these big stars of sports athletics, superstar athletics, what do they do? They come to the television, say, this is a good shoe. And every fan wants to buy that shoe because he says it's a good shoe. This is a good watch. Then everybody buys that watch or whatever cold ring or whatever you want to sell. Use their face image. And that's what the advertising does. I said, why can't one of them Say oh, At the same time, one of them can say, I love social business. And everybody say, hey, this is a good thing. Well, let's do social business. So that's a good cause, advertising, but a good purpose. Not for making money for somebody, but 
generate the ideas that we, we should not let anybody suffer from water. Uh, and quickly, for her, is that the, there are difficulties in doing things. When we are doing microcredit, everybody says it's difficult, it's impossible. It's because you're moving from one kind of situation to another kind of situation. There is no difficulty. Human beings is an enormous machine to overcome all problems. Always have confidence in that. So whatever happens is a kind of transitional problem. You're switching from old ideas to the new ideas. Uh, we have now, now give thousands and thousands of young people investment. Everybody said, oh, how can you do that? Would they really be business people? I said, of course they will be business people. We have no problem getting their money back. So it's not their mother. Mother pays 99% plus repayment. This is an investment we are making, and they are paying back the money because they have enough to do, because they were moving on to their business and so on. And the point about Kiva. The, the, the last one is the Kiva. Uh, Kiva is a good, we have, I've written in the book also about the Kiva, but the limitation of Kiva, I said Kiva is not a solution. Kiva is only temporary thing can be done. They cannot do the solution for the whole world. They can do small things. The real solution is to change the financial system itself. Why should the young people have to pay for the loan I have to pay for somebody else? This doesn't make sense. The whole thing is the financial system is so crooked, they will not do this. So the young guys have to go and put that up, make this $5, $10 money to Kiva so that they can accumulate $25, $100 to give a loan. That's not a solution at all. This is to shame the banking system. That look, you're not doing it. You have to do it because it can be done. We run microcredit program in the United States. We have no problem. We have the Grameen America there. We have now 20 branches in 12 cities in the United States. We have over 100,000 borrowers in the United States in the last 10 years. And we've given out over a billion dollars with a perfect repayment record. No collateral, no guarantee, nothing. It works in several, 12 cities, in New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Boston, Miami, and so on, many other cities, Omaha, Nebraska, and so on. So it works everywhere. So why can't the banking system pick it up and say, this is our job, not somebody coming from Bangladesh to run this program for the women in the United States? Very quickly, there was a, a lady here whose hand was so high, it was almost changing a light bulb. It was you, <laughs> risk of being electrocuted. Actually, the, the question is about your views about price. You know, most of the commodities coming from the poor world are for low prices. However, those virtual things like Microsoft, how Bill Gates was very, very rich, is coming from things that are very virtual ideas. Michael Zuckerberg, the same thing. There's no good in that is sensible or, or you can feel. However, there is a lot of monopoly and a lot of you know, manipulation and, and so on going in that make those 1% of the population holds the the wealth of, of yeah. so many who are working really yeah. hard into commodities, how yeah. we can price things sure. in relation to the effort. Uh, just if you look at the agriculture, all agricultural produce all over the world, producers don't get the price. It's the middlemen, it's the people who are finally selling it in the storefront, they make the money. And you take the essential, it uh, the important items in the agricultural chain, you take the, uh, for example, coffee is a popular drink. Coffee growers don't see any money. The coffee consumers pay $4, $5 a cup. They don't even get a four penny for that. The coffee contained in that cup, producers do not get even a four penny for that. So this is a mismatch. This, this is what we are proud of the system. We are not. <laughs> Cotton growers... <laughs> Cotton growers don't get the price. They work very hard, beautiful cotton, 
and the cotton consumers pay a very high price. Who makes the money? In between people. Cocoa, the chocolate. They don't, cocoa producers get a penny. They can't even afford to buy a chocolate in their life. But the chocolate is a very expensive item in the world. So this is the kind of world we have created. Solution, we started creating social business in between, like a coffee business. We create social business coffee. We work with the coffee growers, pick them all the coffee from them, process them, and sell it to the final consumers, bring the money back to the producers. Because we are social business, we are not interested in making money for ourselves. So this is a solution. I can solve it. You can solve it. Instead of complaining about a big one, we can become big because we take it from there and we cover the cost, whatever cost is involved. And for minus the cost, we take all the money back into the producer's hand because they are the one who deserve it. We have now coffee, uh, social business coffee is in the business right now, but we'll do it in every one of them as we go along. Not that this is the best solution in the world. I don't know. Maybe you have a better solution for that. What we are trying to do is we keep complaining at the same time solving. Not that just complain and stop. We have to find one and say, look, this is works. This is something. We our, you get social business coffee uh, in um, Frankfurt Airport called Perfect Day. This is a social business coffee. We grow it in Kerala and sell it in uh, Frankfurt. And money comes back to Kerala. So this is one way. There are many, many examples I can give, but we tried in a small way. We're going to have to leave it there. We didn't even get to the third zero, which is climate change. <laughs> so you will have to come back next year. I, I, have learned, I, I have learned much from you this evening, Mohammed. Not the least of which is do not pick an ideological fight with a Nobel Prize winner. I shall not do that again in a hurry. It's been a fabulous session. Mohammed Yunus, Nobel Prize winner. Thank what an absolute honour and pleasure. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you.